the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I am co-founder and managing partner of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions is the leading provider of lines of credit to nonprofits. Our line of credit program is easy, inexpensive, and costs nothing until used, making it a great cash backup plan for your nonprofit. If you'd like to learn more about the program, please visit us at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And if you decide to apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file, or feel free to give us a call at 862-207-4118. The time to set up your line of credit is today, not tomorrow, so that when you need the line of credit, you'll have it ready to go. Today, I am excited to be speaking with Margaret Katz-Kan from Fundraising Leadership. Margaret believes that as a fundraiser, we are way too often in apology mode when we ask for money. As a professional co-active coach, Margaret specializes in executive fundraising coaching, board training, and consulting. Margaret works with nonprofits and startup executives to stop tripping over their ask, to connect to passion and leadership, and step into the world of compelling fundraising. Margaret's career has spanned two plus decades, including both actively fundraising and leading a five-member team that raised $12 million a year, while also overseeing donor relations for a donor-advised advised fund program. Prior to falling in love with fundraising, Margaret worked as a journalist. Her resume includes working at the Associated Press, as well as the Aspen Times and KUSA News. Margaret holds a master's degree in journalism from the University of Colorado at Boulder and a bachelor's degree in creative writing from Cornell University. Margaret is a certified professional co-active coach through the Co-active Training Institute. She also is a graduate of the CTI Leadership Program. Margaret, welcome to today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. Well, thanks, Stephen. I'm super happy to be here today. You know, I... uh, I, you know, I, I usually do some research before I go onto these podcasts and I was reading your bio and, you know, it was longer than actually what I read. And I usually keep it to one paragraph, you know, but I, you know, I really liked the things that you've done. You know, I, I, it was just, it was interesting, especially your experience with, uh, you know, with the writing that you've been involved with, um, you know, I just, it seems that people who are in the nonprofit sector as, as coaches and consultants, they seem like they always have a variety of career background, uh, and it makes them much better at helping nonprofits because of that. Would you agree with that? Um, yeah, I would, I would totally agree. Agree. I mean, I think as consultants and coaches, we get to offer the arc of all of our experiences and skills. And certainly my start in the world of journalism had me from the get-go loving stories, being a good listener, asking a lot of questions. And those are all skills that are um, pretty easy to duplicate as a fundraiser, right? They're all. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny because like, I always remember this from some of the conference I've gone to for nonprofits uh, that, you know, the, the big line for the last several years has been, 
uh, stories, right? Tell stories and fundraising, right? And so, you know, certainly that's what you're doing when you're doing writing, you're telling stories. So it, it translates really, really well, I guess, into being a, a coach to help people tell their story when it comes to a nonprofit. Yeah. Um, so one of my very early conferences that I went to when I first started at the Community Foundation and in the nonprofit world, we had a keynote speaker who said, every time I see a Porsche drive down the street, I, I feel like I lost a gift. And my job is to make giving feel as good to people as, as them buying that Porsche. And um, he's, you know, he's picked a tough arena to compete in for sure. But I think the stories are, you know, you want people to feel awesome that you want them to feel like their money has bought something that feels good to them in the same way that driving an awesome car would. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about that, uh, that same example in a second, a second, um, you know, today's topic of course is five strategies to keep fundraising alive during uncertain times. Um, and by the way, it doesn't need to be now during COVID or the pandemic, you know, there's, there are there are lots of times that throws a nonprofit for their for a loop. Maybe they lose one of their biggest donors, or you know maybe there's leadership change and uh, at the nonprofit. So there's uncertain times that happens all the time, regardless of what's going on in in you know the, this pandemic world we're in right now. Correct? Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, so you know all the things. Going, yeah. Yeah, and going back to what you're saying too, I just you know I have to add you know. I've been on boards for nonprofits and I've also, you know, we donate, uh, our, uh, financing solution donates quite a bit of money to nonprofits. And, um, so we, uh, uh, I think it's, I just want to add as, as a consumer of uh, someone who donates money that it's not only just important to tell your story when you are asking for money, <laughs> but after I've given you your money, Right. I, I, cause I, I, this is one nonprofit that I give a lot of money to and I get so, uh, I'm going to pick my word correctly here. Cause the word I was thinking was going to be a little, uh, aggressive. Uh, yeah, I'd love I, you to I, use the word that you were going to say, cause uh, you know, we'll, we'll learn from you as fundraisers. <laughs> I was going to say pissed, you know, uh -huh. like I give them a lot of money and they don't do anything in return for me other I know their cause is great but um but they don't do anything after they just keep asking for more money and you know it's just you know you want more money from me you know Right. Tell Call me how me. you used. Tell me how you used my donation. <laughs> yeah. Tell me the good yeah. things. Make me feel like I just test drove. Make me feel it. like you know you'll get more money out of me. Now I know the problem is it's a very large nonprofit, um, and they uh, it's you know they they have like you know hundreds of thousands of people, and I don't give so much money that I'm in the top or echelon of their their stuff and stuff like that. So I you know it's definitely a volume issue, and I, I get it. I get it. So. Um, so let's, let's start off by, you know, give us one of the strategies that you think that really uh, helps keep fundraising alive during uncertain times. Yeah. Well, you just sort of added a sixth strategy, so yeah. I'm going to name that and then I'm going to move on. But, um, you know, every donor is a human and nobody wants to be, um, feeling like they're an ATM. So thanking, yeah. thanking, thanking storytelling comes in now too, right? Like after somebody has made a donation, they need to. They need to hear the story of who it impacted and how it made a difference. So that's that's strategy number six. Um, 
I'm going to move into my strategy number one. And I really saw this so much right at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, in the end of March and April of last year when people were, um, you know, people were just beginning. We didn't have any idea what was going on. And I, I, I heard from so many executive directors who, who sort of made this decision like, what we're doing needs to step back. You know, the work that we're doing isn't as important as what's happening, you know, front lines, food banks, that kind of thing. And so the strategy is actually a reminder. You you don't get to decide what your donors are interested in. And it's a really bad idea to make up stories about what they are. First of all, disaster giving doesn't impact annual giving and years where people give a lot to disasters, they just give more. I mean, there's, yeah. there's science there. So they're not necessarily choosing. And, you know, the people who cared about the environment still care about the environment and the people who were giving to GLBTQ things are still going to be giving to that. You know, they're not going to be totally um, foisted into a place where all they're going to give to is food banks. So, we get in a lot of trouble making up like, oh, we're not relevant or we're not doing things that are completely pandemic related. And I'm still hearing a lot of that executive directors trying to remind themselves why they are still relevant now. And that's a, that's a dangerous game. So. Yeah. I, I, I really like what you said. You know, I, um, I, I, uh, you know, God forbid I should say this to nonprofits, but I started off my career for the first eight years working in sales for Xerox, which Xerox at the time is what Google is today. So like, it's, it's like the, the best people work there. And, um, and, and, and I was one of their top salespeople. And, uh, you know, the thing that you notice, and it is going to be a roundabout way of saying this is that the, the salespeople that were really good at what they do. And again, sales has a bad connotation. You know, I'm, you know, I'm trying to help my clients, you know, get what they want. And if my product can do that, then that's great. But most people think of sales like, you know, car salesmen, which is not what sales is. Okay. So, um, the, the really good salespeople at there at the company had, had just a different attitude than everybody else. You know, when there was a recession, they saw it as an opportunity to really help their clients, you know, uh, in a variety of different ways. Uh, whereas, you know, the, the, the poor salespeople would think, oh my God, it's a recession where uh, we, we can't, I can't sell. And, you know, and also the attitude I just told you about, like, you know, salespeople are, you know, at the good ones at Xerox were the ones that said, I, I'm, I'm here to help you. Exactly. You know, I, I want to do it. If I can't help you, I'm going to tell you, I can't help you. And I'm going to walk away. I'm not going to sell you something that you don't need. And that's the same thing. The bad salespeople would be trying to sell you regardless if you needed it or not. And I think it's the same correlation of what I'm trying to illustrate about what you're talking about, Margaret, is the, the idea is, is your attitude the right attitude right now? And if it's not, you got to change that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we've seen over these months, you know, that, that the circle initially of, of disaster relief to food banks and things like that kept getting wider, right? We've learned, oh, mental health is enormously important and we're seeing issues there and there are all these equity issues and domestic violence is up and addiction is up. So, I mean, it has turned out that that initial thing that seemed urgent has actually gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And so many nonprofits have actually been able to say really honestly, 
yeah, we are doing work that's incredibly relevant and important still. And then there are other ones that get to say, you know, our museum may be closed, but if you still want it open when we're allowed to go back, like <laughs> we need your help, you know? So it's not about making things up or contorting people into, you know, it's about really telling about what, what is from the perspective yeah. of, you know, yeah. Why might this still be important to your donors? You know, the, the key for this time too, is it's times yeah. like this that really force you to look deeper at your mission statement and how you're communicating it and uh, the people that you have and, and, and the training that you're providing to the people and, and checking back with, you know, it's the, it's times like this that forces you to kind of go back and really evaluate if you're doing um, all the right steps. Agreed. Yeah, totally. Which is actually a beautiful segue into strategy number two. Oh, I knew that. Which is (laughs) really amazing. Um, Yeah. It's not time to be shy. You know, exactly what you're saying. If you need to do an internal process and take a, take some time to reconnect with what it is that you're doing to remind yourself personally, like, why did this matter to you before? And then you remember that. And then, and then it's, it's your job to, to share it, you know, to keep it on people's radar screens, not to get small, not to pretend that it's not important anymore. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I'll, I wasn't planning on doing this, but reverting it back to uh, the, my days at, at Xerox and sales, because you know, I think fundraising in essence is a form of sale, right? It is. Um, and but there's not one type of salesperson, right? There, there is all different types of personalities that work really well at sales. Yeah. In fact, you know, one of the things you find out is the best salespeople are the ones who listen. 90% of the time and talk 10% of the time. So, you know, the ability for you to ask the right questions, to get into your clients, you know, your donors mindset is, is, you know, if, and the reason I bring that is, is the idea if you're listening, if you're an extrovert, fundraising probably comes pretty easy to you. Agreed. Um. I'm not, I'm not sure that that's true, oh. actually. All right. Well, you, easier. Easier. Okay. Yeah. So I think that, I mean, when people bring you on board as a consultant, uh, do, you, uh, do you find that it's the introverts that have the hardest time? Um, that's such a, it's a, such a good question. And I'm going to actually say when people bring me in, it's often because they either haven't raised money, but they need to because it's part of their job now. Or more commonly, they have the need to raise money. They have always had the need to raise money and they would rather climb under their desk or get a root canal than do it. And in my experience, that's correlated much more with their relationship with money, with the things they believe about money than it is about whether they are introverted or extroverted. I mean, I do think if you're extroverted, you can chit chat and that makes it easier to start a conversation with somebody. But many introverts are very skilled at being extroverted in conversations, even though it's not in nature. So yeah, I think it's really more a tripping over. um, It's funny because you were talking about fundraising style and there are people who, you know, when they think of fundraiser, the, you know, the picture that shows up for them is being called in the middle of dinner, 
you know, by maybe one of those, and I don't want to, you know, throw anybody under the bus, but, I, you know, somebody who's like calling from a police organization and there's this implied threat that if you don't give, they're <laughs> going to let your house get broken into. I mean, I have had that experience and that sort of level of aggression, coercion, and many of my super reluctant fundraisers can't, they don't think of a different way to ask money. It hasn't occurred to them that, yeah, there are so many styles to to be with people and listening and asking them ton of questions is yeah yeah needs to be part of most people's style. yeah and i guess it's like you come in and then you kind of help people come up with their voice i guess not just their individual voice but the the voice of the nonprofit as well yeah right like it's like you know that people probably just have never really sat down uh who are on the board or the executive director or whoever really kind of i i Put, I don't want to say script, but kind of put together, you know, how it all should, conversation should flow. And then they can, you know, I'm not saying it needs to be robotic, but, you know, what are some good questions to ask? What are some things that, that are good to tell them about the organization, that, that stuff? Is that all true? It's all true. And I'm going to add another, you're asking questions and you're listening, not only for the words of the answer, but you're paying attention. You know, when have you lost somebody, right? We all know when we've sort of lost a room or when our donor's attention is wandering and we haven't said something that resonated with them. So it's totally our jobs to catch that and, oh, let me say something different or let me offer. So the script is tricky, being present to what you're noticing when you're, you know, either when you have somebody's attention or when you have completely lost somebody's attention. It's yeah. super important also to be able to think, well, what what might I try that this person would be interested in? Yeah. I guess and it's it's quite a bit different um if it's a, a if you're asking over the phone versus in person versus video and you yeah. know the, the 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 cues that it sends you know, of is someone interested is, is a, a lot different in person than it is on the phone. Yeah. Although I think we can, we can hear a little over the phone, but like a great example of that is there are a lot of people who are very motivated from their hearts, right? Those are our disaster givers. Those are the people who, you know, are scrambling for their credit card while the news is playing with what's going on, you know, the hurricane or whatever, and they feel incredibly moved and it's an emotional decision for them. And then we have donors who are super cerebral, right? Give me the numbers, give me the metrics. And <laughs> as a fundraiser, you know, you, you better figure out pretty early on who you're talking to, right? If you're yeah, ready yeah. with both of those stories. Do you, um, when you do training, uh, do you cover the different types of personalities that you might come across? The different, tell me more about what you mean. Well, like that. if someone's more, uh, analytical and like uh-huh. you said oh, yeah, give me the numbers so so that's one type of person right yeah. and then this other person is a gabby person right and this other person is someone is neither they're quiet they just listen you know is that something that you cover in, in your training or no i do it's probably a little bit less i mean i will certainly make that distinction between the numbers and the emotion and then obviously there's a whole spectrum right not everybody lives solidly just at one end or the other but when i train people what i'm actually also really training them is to to read the space to listen not only to the words but also you know to learn things about 
what people communicate with their body language or, you know, how to, how to know when you are losing somebody's attention, when you're, when you're compelling needs to pivot to a different, yeah a different tag. Yeah, I know that when, in, in the training that I had done when I was with Xerox, they, um, the hardest person to uh, deal with was, was someone who didn't show any emotion or, or, or give you any information. They were always the hardest person because you, you're trying to learn about them and their their company, and so they were always the hardest. That's I don't know true. if it's the same thing in nonprofits. And the best thing you can teach people is just don't take it personally. Yeah, <laughs> you're not going to sell to everybody, and sometimes even though you don't feel like you were super well received, sometimes you still get a check. You know, people. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. difficult. I mean, I, I still hard. take a person. I take it personal still, but I, for me, it's, you know, it's about, you know, getting what I want. So, you know, yeah. you know, in well, some regards, yeah. another, you know, good fundraising thing to remember, there will be no's and they were a no before you ever walked in the room. Yeah. So. Yeah. I guess it's more, if you're, if you're really like, if you're the founder of the nonprofit mm-hmm. and it's more personal, <laughs> It's really, really hard to separate the nonprofit from you, you know, versus if you're a board. Sorry. It's just one of the beautiful perspectives that I got working at a community foundation where it's dedicated to a geographic region, but the focus areas are completely all over, right? I mean, we had arts funders and basic needs funders and people who were interested in civic engagement and basic, all of that. And um, it was great to kind of get to hold the perspective of the pie factory. You know, sometimes people are really good people and they're philanthropic and they are just not interested in your cause, you know, like the movie, he's just not that into you and it doesn't have to be personal. Yeah. Cool. They're doing something. Just give them space to do something good, even if it's not your good thing. So, um, next steps, uh, uh, you kind of think, um, next steps. All right. So strategy, new strategy. All right. Mm -hmm. Next strategy. Don't buy into the collective myth that nobody is making money right now. You know, there's there's a lot of panic about about money. And absolutely, there are many, many people who are unemployed who might have given before. Um, but what we also know is while the stock market is strong, people with money will continue to have money. I mean, that's been a really interesting thing about money that has flowed during this pandemic is, you know, the people in the top echelons who do have resources have have been really generous and have had the capacity you know we've had banner earnings on many things and then there are also you know a lot of companies that well there are a lot of companies that were in the right place at the right time and many others who have been incredibly innovative and have made incredible rain for themselves during this time so it's just a reminder you know why not have your nonprofit be that innovative group that maybe is doing better than you were before. Yeah. You don't have to decide ahead of time. Oh, nobody's got money. And so it's just not been true. When you, when you come into your uh, assignments to help somebody to help a, a nonprofit, you, uh, how much is it all also about uh, picking the right type of audience to an attack, uh, to um, call for money or- to ask? For the nonprofits, you know, like yeah. who they should be I mean, spending time with. Yeah, I mean, do you go in and you find that the that the the pool of people that they're asking is not the right pool? 
Uh, or is that like the first thing you're kind of going over is like, okay, let's see, let's see how, who you're asking first to see if they're the right audience. Yeah. Is that a part of it or no? Yeah. Well, I'm going to um, circle back to something you said earlier. And that is, you know, your best people are the people who have already given because we already know how to find them and we already know that they're interested. And so a lot of work actually, you know, would wisely go into upgrading people who you know already are your people. Um, and certainly I've worked with groups, you know, where, where Oprah was their first and last plan. Well, you know, she has money and she should be interested. Well, you know, if you don't know her, I wouldn't make that your plan A. So, um, I do find sometimes people want to, they want to go after donors just because they know those donors have resources, just because they know those donors have money. And that's a overly simplistic way of thinking about things that, you know, really the alignment, you know, finding donors who actually care about what you do should maybe be the top connecting thing that you're looking for. Yeah. And then yeah, capacity, ability, important having contact with them also really important. Yeah, yeah. So I talk about that. That's my ABC, you know, ability to give belief in what you do and contact. You know, will they not delete your email? Do you have an introduction or are you a warm body to them? How how do you increase that third one, which is contact? So, you know, uh, maybe you've exhausted your contacts, you know, the, the ones that you really know, what, uh-huh. what, 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 what do you go after that? Yeah. Well, and um, every group should, which is, you know, I'm deeply aware many of my clients are a one person shop and what they should be doing and what they have time to be doing are two different things, but always there should be an eye out for what, what's your pipeline? How is it that you are bringing in new people? And some of the tested strategies that work there are who, who do your board members know? You know, do you have people on your board who can make some introductions and bring some people in? Are you doing some, some events? And obviously events look different now from how they did, you know, 13 or 14 months ago. But are you doing some interesting content that's maybe bringing in new people? Are you asking the people you know to make introductions to bring people to things? Do you have, you know, sometimes people do, um, you know, I have a group that does a 5K, you know, it's a lot of work, but they get hundreds of new names because they get people who want to do the run and then they Uh. get their friends to also do the run and to give to them. And so Uh. that's, you know, that's another strategy when you, you know, when you sponsor somebody who's doing a run or a bike ride, you know, you've now added your name. Um, So, you know, so there's there's lots of thinking and lots of strategies that other people have tried. How, how do we build our pipeline? Yeah. So you, even though maybe the 5k may not generate that much money and there's a lot of effort, it gives you those contacts then that you can follow up and uh, uh, develop those relationships with. So it's a lead generation system. And, you know, interestingly, I I have clients and people who I've talked to and follow where the pandemic has been a gift in many ways, like the need to do things virtually has decreased the expense line so radically, you know, going from a run that was at a place and where they had to pay for porta potties and bagels and security and parking people, you know, and now last April, right. You know, they, they changed it to a virtual event they were like, Hey, just run your 5k and post a photo. And suddenly their expenses were zero 
and the whole thing was profit. So, um, I mean, that's Good. overly simplistic. That's not exactly true, but yeah. there have been a lot of changes actually towards virtual things that have been really advantageous for nonprofits. Yeah, it's interesting how those those events tend to have a multiplier effect. Whereas, you know, someone will go and then they'll bring some friends along, which you didn't, which you your nonprofit didn't know about, and then they get to then you kind of start those friends start to learn about your nonprofit and then they become potential uh donors. Uh yeah. you know, so it's it's interesting how it does have that multiplier effect. Yeah. And there's a there's a big responsibility, in my opinion, as an N of one, I get this, but for board members, that it really is their job, even if they are not willing to make direct asks for money, but to introduce their networks. And they have a lot of cachet because they are volunteers, you know, and they can start a conversation saying, hey, I joined to this board and I'm giving them all this time and all of my talent, but here's why, because the work that they do is so resonant and I think it's so cool. And those kinds yeah. of introductions are priceless. Yeah, yeah. Cool. What what else on your list of strategies to keep fundraising alive during difficult, uh, uncertain times? Absolutely. I've got two more. And um, one we've, we've definitely touched on. And it's just about getting consistent in what your messaging is. It relates to storytelling and the superpower that is part of storytelling. Um, and, you know, I've have this written down in sort of a tip sheet, but, you know, step one, put your finger on the pulse of your own. Why am I here? And step two, get up to 30,000 feet and remind your world of why your nonprofit exists. Step three, make a compelling case for why your work is relevant and why money is needed to continue what you're doing. And, you know, keep, keep doing those rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, and keep telling that story. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how much this podcast is so relevant to me to, you know, running a business. It's yeah. like, you know, you can have a great strategy, but if you don't execute it, then your strategy is never going to work. And you could have, you could be pretty good at working hard, but if you don't have the right strategy, it's not going to work. And so you got to have, you know, and bringing it down to a nonprofit is, you know, you have to understand, you know, your what you're trying to accomplish from an op, from a nonprofit standpoint, and then you have to understand who your audience is that you uh, you should be talking to about donations, and then the third step is uh, you should be able to tell them a story, right? Yeah. And then the third one is, which is what you're talking about right now, is you need to be able to do it over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Right. Rinse and, and so, repeat. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's not, you know, it's not rocket science, really. You know, it's like four steps right there. And if you do those four steps and we all make this thing complicated and it's really not that complicated, as long as you took a step back and kind of figured that out. Right. Yeah. 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 And then my last strategy is stop over planning and do something. I mean, (laughs) it's ridiculous trying to plan right now. You know, can we do a live event next October? What, like, who knows? Right. And we can get so mired and wanting, wanting to know things that we don't get to know. And so, you know, do something, pick up the phone, call a lower level donor, you know, who maybe has been neglected. And I have a 
beautiful story, which is I, you know, coached this to one of my clients and she picked up the phone and she called a donor planning to ask for a gift. And when she caught that donor on the phone, the donor had just had a, a COVID related death, maybe not in her immediate family, but something that had impact. And, you know, my executive director just listened, just helped give her permission to be in her grief about that, said, I'm so glad that I called and was able to you know, just get this check-in and then no ask was ever made. And she hung up the phone and a week later, she got a giant check from this donor, wow. you know, that it, that just connecting, like use this time to do something, even if it doesn't feel or look or smell on the outside, like fundraising. Yeah. And I bet you right now, you know, sometimes you think about your own life and you think everybody's that way, but I think like I'm more open to listening I don't have as much going on in my life right now, right? Yeah. And it's not crazy as, uh, you know, and so I might be more opening, open to having a longer conversation on a phone with people. Yeah. And, you know, it might be a way to look at this too. Again, that's going back to our original point that we were talking about is reframe how you look at things. You know, it, you know, this is a bad time to raise money during a recession. Uh, you know, maybe it's not you know, change your attitude a little bit about that as well. Yeah. Well, right. You don't, you don't have to roll over and die. You know, you get yeah. to still keep trying and keep carrying that banner of something, yeah. you know, that, that you signed up for that you care about. Yeah. I have to ask you this question. I, and you know, I, I get a number of, of coaches and, and consultants that come on the nonprofit MBA podcast. When you, what do you? What's usually the number one issue that you have to address when you come on to an assignment to help a uh, a nonprofit? What's the number one thing that they are asking you to do? Um, and I don't mean, of course, they're asking you. They want to raise more money, but what is the problem they're having the number one biggest problem with? Yeah, um, dread. Easy answer. Yeah. Please make the dread go away. Please <laughs> make it not the worst thing I do this week to pick up the phone and do my fundraising calls. And what's what's the what's what do you do to kind of get them over that fear? Um, we do a deep dive into what their narratives and money stories are. You know, if you pick up the phone and you hear your mother's voice saying, money doesn't grow on trees or we don't <laughs> ask for things or, you know, and I'm not a therapist and I'm not, you know, pretending that we're doing a deep Freudian dive into anything, but helping people talk about, um, you know, what what is it that they're tripping over? And there's a lot about asking for money, asking for help, um, theories about independence. I mean, there's there's a lot packed in into that. And I will tell you, I can't promise and nor have I made every client a joyful fundraiser, but they all can move away from that terrible avoidance and deep yuck about it. Yeah. It just doesn't yeah. have to be that way. Yeah. Well, it must be, uh, I'd love to be on the call with you to <laughs> see what it, what it's like for a professional to do it. It must be really interesting. Well, I do uh, sample sessions. So if you'd ever uh, like, Stephen, I'm happy to spend some time with you doing that. There you go. Well, good. I'll take you up on that. Yeah. Um, so parting thoughts, any last uh, comment? I know we did kind of a little parting thought already, but anything else that you kind of want to add to, to our listeners? Um, I, I do, actually. Just the last... 
you know, we talked a little bit and I'm sort of, you know, if you're just listening, kind of making a scales of justice with my hands. And for people who are really in dread of fundraising, the anxiety about it is so heavy. And so the work is to lighten that. But at the same time, on the other side of that scale is just connecting with your compelling, you know, your passion, your story, your connection to this work. And as that gets heavier and this gets lighter, we all can raise more money. Cool. Good job. Good job. Great podcast today. Uh, I would like to thank uh, so very much Margaret Katzkan from Fundraising Leadership for coming on today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. If you liked today's podcast, please give us a review on your podcasting app to help us get the word out. The Nonprofit MBA podcast has become very popular. I'm so proud of it. It really helps nonprofits and that's that was the intended purpose. And if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Margaret, if someone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Um, they can find me on fundraisingleadership.org and they can contact me and send me an email that way. Or I am at margaret at fundraisingleadership.org. Great. Nice and easy. I like that. Um, our listeners, uh, I know you all work really hard and we all need this. And I want to thank you all for making the world a much better place. We all need it. And your, your work is greatly appreciated. Everybody have a great day. Stay safe and, and enjoy 2021. We're glad 2020 is gone. See you guys.